The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The war between cops and criminals takes an unusual turn. And do sex robots make good role models? Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, thanks for coming back for another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. It's the uh, Daily Paranormal Conspiracy and True Crime Podcast. little intro, throwing that in there, see how that works. Um, it was a good day today. It was hot. I spent pretty much the entire day inside, slept a bit. I'm finally, I think, about 90% recovered from my whole infection thing. I'm still just kind of taking Sudafed and taking it easy. Got to get back to my normal routine tomorrow, normal diet, all of that stuff. It is, the point is, it is Friday the 13th. I was actually going to try to find some spooky stories for Friday the 13th, but I didn't. I, you know, I kind of looked around. I, I, I still need to find some ghost stories that I'm not going to immediately disprove as I'm reading them. Um, I need to find, I love reading ghost stories online, but recently I've been finding a lot and they just, they just don't really hold up to any sort of scrutiny. I mean, like, basic level scrutiny. The thing is with the ghost story is that someone can tell me a ghost story, and I'm like, okay, that's plausible. But it's the stories, you know, and that's like a personal event. Like, if someone says, I saw a ghost, and they tell me that story, fine, that's that's totally legit. But I'll read stories that involve, like, researchers and colleges coming out to test stuff, and they're like, and after 44 hours, here's our proof. 18 photos of orbs and a voice recording of something saying something. It's like, come on, guys. You know, like, you tell me a ghost story, tell me a ghost story, but don't try to tell me that you've done all sorts of research on it and you can't produce anything more than, you know, some dust particles floating around. Orbs. Orbs are the, the, the lamest inclusion ever into paranormal belief. It's not. There's nothing there, bro. You can see, anyways, anyways, I don't want to get off on orbs. Here's a little story to start us off. The other day I was watching a cat drink water out of a faucet. Not in real life. I was watching a video of a cat drinking water out of a faucet and like had its head leaned over the the sink and it was just like licking the water up. And I, you know, so cats, the way that their tongues work, they like scoop water in. Like they don't actually drink water out of the, like a puddle. Their tongue actually like hits the water and lifts it up and then they catch the single droplet on their tongue. It's amazing to look at because we just see cats going, but there's actually like when you slow it down, you see all of these, all of this amazing stuff going on with it. Now, raccoons have little hands and they're actually adept enough that they'll wash their food. So they'll take food and they'll like put it in and they'll like wash it and like eat it and take their time. They kind of like kick back on their butt and eat a walnut or whatever and like watch squirrels run around in front of them. Here's my question. Do you think animals are jealous of each other? Because they're they're not idiots. They're not idiots. Do you think the cat is like, oh, I'm so thirsty. This is going to take so much effort. Oh, great. I get to lean my head over into this bucket and I get to go, oh, that's one drop. Oh, that's two drops. Oh, that's three drops. And this cat is super dehydrated. 
He's like, dude, I haven't drank like in a day. I'm so this is gonna take me forever to just quench my thirst. Four drops and so on. And then he looks over and he sees the raccoon like pick up a solo cup with his hands, scoop water in, and he's just like chugging it. Or like the or like a dog who's like, oh, here's a stick. I need to. I want to make this stick into a smaller stick. Dogs are kind of stupid, but let's say that this dog goes, I'm gonna make this stick into a smaller stick. So he holds it in his mouth and then he takes his paw and he's like pushing on it, pushing on it, pushing on it. And that can't be comfortable. I don't care how strong your jaw is. You still got a stick in your mouth and you're like rank, moving your head one way and you're hitting it with the paw and then finally it breaks off and you're like, yay, I have. A shorter stick. And then you look up and you see a monkey just like <coughs> snapping logs. Or a gorilla. Like, oh, look at this tree. I want all the branches on it. Break. Without even thinking about it. <clears throat> Scratching his back. Do you think animals get jealous of each other? Do you think animals that don't have hands look at animals that do have hands and go, that is lame. And here's the thing. We have done studies that there are certain species of monkeys that get jealous We've been able to reward monkeys and do all this stuff, and we can tell that certain animals get jealous. But do animals in general get jealous? Does a lion look at a cheetah and be like, oh, I wish I was that fast? And the cheetah looks at the lion and goes, man, I wish I had such great hair. It's interesting. My answer is I think they might. I think they might. I think there might be some sort of innate... Well, you know, here's an interesting thing. And this actually plays into the idea... This is one of those thoughts that have always kind of creeped me out. I have some interesting theories about reality and stuff like that. And it's it's a little hard to explain in a podcast. It's actually, it comes across as probably not that well thought out. But what I think is interesting, so I think real, basically reality is what you make of it. Reality is what you see of it. It's, you know, my reality is different than your reality and so on and so forth. And here's the interesting part of that. And so you can always take it to the nth level. We've done studies where we've taken cats and we've put electrodes in their brains. And when cats look at humans, how they perceive us is they perceive us as giant cats. They see us as huge cats. They don't see us as evolved apes. They see us as giant cats. And that's one of the, you know, when a cat kills a bird and drops it off at your doorstep, they're trying to feed you. They're trying, that's how a cat treats a kitten. They'll kill an animal and give it to the kitten to train the animal how to kill and hunt for its own food. It's almost like an insult when a cat leaves a dead animal at your doorstep. A dog does it like as a trophy for you. The cat does it as kind of an insult. But anyways, when a cat sees a cat, when a cat sees a human, it sees a giant cat. Here's my question. I'm human. And I look at you and I see another human. But when the cat looks at me, I'm another cat. That's not true. I'm not really a cat. So what if when I look at you, you're not really human? That's just how my eyes are perceiving you. They're putting you in a human form. But because I'm a human and I'm looking at something else that's on my spiritual or reality-based level, I view you as a human, but you're really not a human. And I'm not saying you're a synth or a cyborg or something like that, but what if that, in my reality, 
and when I see again, this is where it gets a little hard to hard to say. And I'm not like married. This is one of those things that I'm not like, no, this is absolutely factual. And I believe this 100 percent and I'd be willing to preach this to the mountains. I just think it's an interesting thought where if reality is what we make of it, if reality is perception, and I'm looking at all these people around me. What if they're not people? What if they are? If we could remove those filters, I would see spiritual beings or beams of light or nothing. And I'm alone on this huge grid. And my brain's just constantly updating information to make it feel like the world is real. If a cat sees a human and sees a cat, that does not mean that human is a cat. If I look at a human and see a human, does that necessarily mean that that's another human in front of me? That's a little, a little, a little philosophical question from a man who has a podcast and is sweating profusely even though it's only 88 degrees out. It's funny, it has not, it's it's cooler now than it was yesterday, but for some reason I'm dripping with sweat. So because of that, we're going to go ahead and get started here. I came across a couple interesting stories lately. One has a little bit of a local twist. So I'm sure you guys have all heard of the Golden State Killer recently being caught. If you haven't, I'll include the link in the show notes. But basically, this guy was in operations from the 70s, I think, to like the 90s. And he was, uh, first he started off, I believe, breaking into homes. Then he began raping and murdering people. The cops could never find them. And they finally arrested him. So I have a friend up here. His name is William. And usually I don't use real names. And I'm going to go ahead and use his real name because he kind of has a real claim for this. So what happened was he's been following, he's, he's, He's a smart guy, and he gets kind of involved in certain, you know, back, I think, 20 years ago or so, he got involved in a true crime case. It's kind of a funny story, and maybe someday I'll have him on the show to talk about it, but he started following this true crime case, and he's, he's just smart as far as, like, looking at clues and puzzles, and I've asked him, why doesn't he go more into, like, investigation side, and he's like, well, I'm not a huge fan of true crime, just every so often, a case pops up, and... I'll look into it and I'll be interested. And he kind of was thought that that guy that he was looking at, and I, I don't remember the name, unfortunately, but he thought that guy may have been the Golden State Killer. And so what happened was he ended up, he he's, you know, he was contacting, uh, I believe, members of the FBI, Sacramento FBI, which is funny because I used to, I used to drive by the FBI building all the time. It's next to American River College in Sacramento. But anyways, he contacted them and, and one of the pieces of advice he gave, and I think he might have even found the lead investigator on the case with the police department. But he said, he emails him and says, you know what you guys should do? You should look at the genealogical websites. Let me back up for a second. So a genealogical website is like 23andMe or Ancestry.com where you send them a swab of your DNA and they send you back a list of your genetic markers and what races you, what regions of the world you came from, your family lineage and so forth. Now, and then once you, that's private information. You send it to them, they send it back to you, that's private. You can then upload that information onto their website so other people can try to find family connections. Once you upload it to the website, it is public domain. And he said, my friend William said, why don't you look at that website to see if you can find, because they had the Golden State Killer's DNA from crime scenes. They go, you may not be able to find him, but you may be able to find one of his relatives who have taken one of these tests and uploaded it to the genealogical website. And then that will narrow down the search. So he sent that to them. And then about a month later, two months later, they caught him. They caught the Golden State Killer using a genealogical website. They found, I think, his brother or a cousin or something like that, and they were able to trace him back. He was an ex-cop. 
Disgusting man. Disgusting, disgusting man. I think he was in his 70s or whatnot. So he's caught. And he, my friend is like, you know, um, I've asked, like, did you, you know, he's tried to kind of get clarification of whether or not he helped in the case, and he hasn't gotten any clarification. Here's the thing. The cops are never going to admit if some rando sent them a email and they all of a sudden goes, hey, let's try that out. <clears throat> and I told him, I said, dude, it's it's very possible that you played a part in catching this guy. I would just walk away with that. I would say, you know, this is my story. I sent this off a couple months later. I don't need an official response from the from the police. But then he goes, well, there's also a reward. And I go, okay, well, then, yeah, I would want an official response from the police. But that's also probably why they're not going to officially name you. And he's putting his bid in for the reward. So good luck to him. Hopefully he'll get it. If you listen to this podcast and you have any sway in the Federal Bureau of Investigation, I wonder if any... FBI agents listen to the show or CIA agents or anything like that. I think they'd be fairly interested in the topic. I'm sure I've popped up on some watch lists as I'm um, searching for some of these topics. So if you are, I hope you're having a good time. I hope you're enjoying the show. And if you know anybody, try to help my buddy out. So anyway, so they've done that. And the story, though, that I really wanted to talk about was in Washington. So across the river. This is crazy. So back in the back in the eighties, okay, a twelve-year-old girl is murdered, Michelle Walsh, and then a about five months later, a thirteen-year-old girl named Jennifer Bastien was also killed. And the cops are like, "Okay, great, we have a serial killer killing these young girls. Tragic, tragic." And based on the DNA samples they found at the time, it was actually two different people. So they're thinking, well, maybe it's like a pair, a murdering pair of people. Maybe they're completely unrelated, but that's weird because they actually were in, relatively in the area. Oh, and yeah. So what happens is now we're going to go ahead 32 years later. And they caught them by saying, hey, why don't we see if any of these idiots... I'm trying not to cuss, and I want to use really harsh language for them... But why won't these idiots, maybe maybe one of their relatives uploaded their information to a genealogical database. And guess what? Both of them did. There were two totally unrelated murders. These two guys did not know each other. They both decided to kill a teenage girl. And now they're caught. And now they're in jail. The one guy is 66 and the other guy is 60. So, Insane. Insane. And, you know, I don't know. It would be weird if that was the only one that they did. If they did it once and just like, well, well, that's done. That fetish is over with or what. But here, so I'm glad that they're locked up. I'm glad the Golden State Killer is locked up. Here's my thing. Are the cops playing fair? See, there's always been police and criminals. I've always been the opposing sides, like the Bloods and the Crips, like the Nazis and the Doughboys. Wait, no, the Doughboys were World War One. Like the Nazis and the GIs, like the Japanese and the Chinese. Like it, they're two opposing forces. The criminals do something, the police react to it. And there's like a set of rules that have been set up. Is this is this fair? Now I know what you're thinking, Jason. I mean, of course, I'm Jason. Now, I know what you're thinking. Jason, why do you care how they catch these guys? Well, yeah, I don't, like, on, on the... I'm glad these guys are caught. 
But let's say that I go into a crowd, like I'm a hitman, and I'm taking out my targets, and I'm super, super careful about what I do, and then my dopey brother sends his DNA to a uh, Ancestry.com thing, and they find him, and he goes like, oh, right, I'm half Belgium. Belgian? People from, anyways, he's half that. And then finally the cops are like, oh, this is the guy who's murdered like 15 high-profile politicians. And now I'm caught because my brother wanted to know how much Swiss he had in him. Is that fair? Is that is that part of the rules? Is that I? You know, it's it, and and to be fair, yes, it is. It's completely fair. These people deserve to go to jail. I get it. I get it. It's fascinating though because, and I've talked about that book. It wasn't the history of crime. It's the Mammoth Book of True Crime by Colin Wilson. It's and I'll post that in the links again because again, it's one of my favorite books. And he talks about the history of crime and the history of crime detection. If you were committing crimes in the 1600s, you didn't worry about fingerprints. And then all of a sudden they started fingerprinting and then you were caught up in that. So you had to start wearing gloves. And then the same thing originally, it wasn't DNA, it was blood type. And then it became DNA. And now it's not only your DNA, it's your relative's DNA. Facial recognition technology. What's next? If I'm a criminal now, and I'm committing some high-profile crimes that the police are going to put massive resources towards, what do I have to worry about 30 years from now? Where is the crime detection software going to be 30 years from now? Because, again, we never thought about DNA before, you know, the I think it was like the 50s. Well, DNA crime detection was, I think, started in the, the 80s, but maybe a little bit later. But So what's coming up next? Will they be able to put neural transmitters into people's brains and read the information from the lat, like a victim's brain? Or will they be able to, it's like a DVR? Who knows? That may sound fantastical, but who knows? Because all the other crime techniques, and it's amazing, fingerprints, they used to, well, they, there's only like so many different basic types of fingerprints. So when you found a fingerprint at a crime scene, you had to have some guy in jolly old England in Scotland Yard They'd have a stack of fingerprints that were like oval-shaped fingerprints and a stack of fingerprints that were this type of shape, like a basic shape. And you'd have to flip through cards of every criminal. You know, if, if the crime scene had an oval-shaped fingerprint, you'd break out the oval box and you would look through every single card and hold it up to the picture. Now that's all done in a database. Fascinating. I've actually thought about writing a story about a murder that takes place on a space station. So all of our crime scene techniques, all of our crime fighting techniques are useless. There's no blood splatter because everything's in zero gravity. There's no DNA because everyone's in a suit. No ballistics. The gunpowder would be everywhere. Whatever weapon was used, the laser cutter. A laser cutter would be even better because we'd have no basic forensic techniques. So you'd have this space station up there and an astronaut is killed and we have to send a detective up into space to solve the very first murder in space yeah i think that'd be an interesting idea that's one of those ideas that i really like that i've came up with years ago but as a writer you go i'm not talented enough to write that story now maybe someday but right now that's a little out of my experience level of what I can write. But I do think that's a fascinating story. And if I do write it, I will maybe read it on the air for you guys. Or just post a link to where you can buy it, one of the two. 
Now, I did come across another story, and this, this kind of made me laugh. Now, there's a lot of controversy going on about sex robots. And I get it. You build a robot that looks just like a woman, and I can do whatever I want to this. And we'll speak in generalities. I know that there's sex robots for men and women by them and gay men by But we're just, the main ones right now are the female-based robots for, for men, for straight men. So you build a robot that is the hyper-realistic, ideal version of a woman. It's the Vanessa in a robot form. Now, I have mixed feelings about it because on the one hand, I like part of the reason why I'm attracted to women is their personality. I mean, obviously their body plays a big part in it, but I like conversing. I like the back and forth and all of that stuff. If I had a robot, if I had like, a, I think there's a difference between like a sex doll that that is just immobile. But if they ever built a robot with an AI that's like walking around my house and be like, hello, Jason, how are you doing? How was your day? Let me tell you about mine. And I could have a conversation with it. Yeah, I'd buy one of those. I think that'd be awesome. But anyways, we're not there yet. So we they, they do have them with a, a bit of AI right now. But anyway, so and then people are saying you're taking the female form and you're turning it into an object. It's the ultimate objectification of women. And other people are saying, listen, and on the men's side, they're saying, listen, I don't want to deal. I don't want to get married. I don't want to have kids. I've completely removed myself from the dating world, but I still want to have a attractive companion that I can have sex with. This is the this is the best option for me. You know, you you we want to we want creeps to stop hitting on women, but then when they buy a robot that looks like a woman, that's considered worse. And I, I get where both sides are coming from. Men just want a sub a object in their life that they can love that they find physically attractive because their biology is telling them that is an attractive form. And then the other side is saying, no, you're objectifying women. This is the ultimate objectification of women. And before I go any further, I'll say I really don't have a problem with sex robots. Like, I get both sides of the argument, but if, if I go over to someone's house and they had a sex robot there, I don't care. And like I said, if they get advanced enough, I'll have one. That being said... Children's sex robots? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. People may go, well, that keeps them from going out and committing real pedophilia. Yeah, and I could buy a robot and chop its arms and legs off, and that may keep me from becoming a real serial killer. But part of being a serial killer and part of being a pedophile isn't so much about the physical form, it's about the power domination. So if I have a 10-year-old looking robot, eventually that's not going, that's, I'm not going to be happy with that because it's not giving me the true power and manipulation that you can have over a child. If I just want a companion robot, an adult woman robot sitting in my living room, I can have that because part of being in a relationship isn't completely based on power. It's just companionship. Pedophilia is based on power. And I get it, virtuous pedophiles, all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. We'll do another episode about that. But childlike robots, absolutely not. I'd rather have, I think they can have adult robots with the most exaggerated forms of an, what an adult woman would look like. And I find that a hundred times less offensive towards women than a natural looking 12-year-old girl robot. That's gross. That rant being said... I read this article on The Sun, and the headline is, Dirty Droids. Sex robot makers blasted over sick, family-friendly love dolls that steal husbands and scar kids. <clears throat> so they built these robots that you can actually, because usually the ones with AI will be like, yeah, spank me, daddy. Ooh, yeah, I love you so much. But you can actually t switch them so they are less sexual. 
so they can will have quote-unquote normal conversations. And the article really focuses on a particular family where a guy who has, he's married and he has kids and his wife was like, yeah, sure, you can have a sex robot. I don't have a problem with that. And he, the robot, it will sometimes, he'll take it into the living room and it's dressed up and it interacts with their children. The children will be like, hello, robot. And the robot will talk to them. And the article makes this guy out to be the grossest person in the world that how dare he lets these kids interact with this sex robot. And again, she's not, he's not banging it in front of him. But this, this, this is the funniest quote. So he's married and has kids. He hasn't left his wife for this. And you already read the headline. This is the funniest quote from Dr. Kathleen Richardson. She's professor of ethics and culture of robots and AI at De Montfort University. She said, children will imitate machines if brought up by them. Are they going to sit there motionless and just spout off pre-programmed phases? Are they going to rise up against humanity? And B, the, what is it, the Queenslings of the robot revolution? Shooting down humans to appease their robot overlords because their dad had an attractive woman sitting on their couch as they grew up? Next sentence, a daughter is going to grow up and think, maybe this happened because mummy wasn't beautiful enough. Am I? They'll learn that women only have certain uses, and then they start to use that as a template for how they interact intimately with others. This is profoundly damaging. It's a robot sitting on the couch. And this is my question with this. Let's flip this. Let's say, take the robot out of the equation, this daughter's mother is stunning, absolutely beautiful. She's perfect. Is that not psychological? By this woman's logic, is that not psychologically damaging to the kid? Oh, my mother's so beautiful, but I'm not. How will I interact with the world if I'm not as beautiful as my mom? It's ridiculous. Because humans are still more attractive than these robots. These robots are very well made. But a, but an, a human woman is more attractive than one of these things, at least to me. When you see these, and you'll see these robots, I'll see pictures and I'm like, Damn, that robot's hot. But you have to remember, too, that's the perfect lighting for these things. And this is a professional photographer. Because when you put these robots in a real situation, when you look at this website, you'll see a couple different photos. When you put the robots in real situations, they look like mannequins. They lose a lot of their sex appeal when these photos are taken under natural lighting. But I just think that's so ridiculous. And again, this is almost like complaining for the sake of complaining. Children will imitate machines if brought up by them. Do children imitate... A television set? Do they just sit there and make themselves as wide and flat as possible and just let other people view them for hours a day? Do people imitate shower heads or toasters? It's a robot sitting on a couch. Is it psychologically damaged to have a damaging to have a beautiful mom? And then that sentence they'll learn that women only have certain uses. They they have a mother in the household. There's a mother in the household who's doing normal stuff. This is an object. And the thing is, is like, eventually we're going to have to get used to robots eventually. I don't think the robot revolution is as close as everyone's letting on. You're going to lose your job. Robots are going to take over. I don't think it's as close as we think it is. I think it's coming. But I think, again, a lot of it is scare tactics. And we've gone over that multiple times. And I just don't, I don't see this idea. I don't agree with this doctor at all that these are going to be damaging. We actually have another doctor, Dr. Kathy Hirsch-Pasek. She's a professor of psychology at Temple Uni- University. 
And her quote is, it's like the Barbie doll image, telling girls how they should look. If the culture gives you this image, what are you going to do? What a shame as they grow up. This is what they learn about their dad. Here's my question. Let's again flip the flip the switch. Let's say the parents were in a polyamorous open relationship. So the dad had another woman who was a good, you know, she's a good friend. She comes over. She interacts with the children as well. The woman is dating another woman. And she comes over and they interact with the kids. And they just have this open relationship. There's no way this article would be about how damaging that is to children. These professors would not come out and say, that it's completely wrong. You need to have a man and a woman in the house. How are these kids going to learn to interact if people with the same sex are in the house? How is a little girl going to look at mommy with a mommy and go, how am I supposed to interact with society because I feel heterosexual? This article would never have been written. Because we look, we look at a polyamorous relationship or a same-sex relationship and we go, eh, okay. You know, it's none of my business. But you throw a robot in the mix and people who automatically have a bug up their butt about sex robots go, this is damaging, this is wrong, that guy's a bad person, these kids are learning horrible things. And again, in that polyamorous relationship, what if the mom's girlfriend and the dad's girlfriend are tens? They're Victoria's Secret models. Would that be damaging to this young girl's self-esteem? No. They, They would never be an article about that. The article, any article would say, this is normal, this is celebrating this thing because if there was an article about that people would go why why are you being bigoted about what people are doing in the comfort of their own homes and a professor's like no no her girlfriend is so hot you don't understand how damaging that is these little kids are going to learn that polyamory is okay people would be like who care why do you care but the son knows that they'll get clicks and they know this is bashing sex robots which which is an industry a lot of people don't like like i was saying in the beginning Who cares what people do in the safety of their own home? They're not hurting anybody. You have a sex robot sitting on your couch. And it's not, again, it's not like they may not even reference the dad's not like, oh, yeah, kids, meet Annabelle. This is the robot I bang when I'm tired of looking at your mother naked. It's just a thing they have. People hate sex robots. I remember a couple episodes back I said that when I was talking about pornography moving the internet ahead, if it wasn't for pornography, we wouldn't have Netflix. Pornography created that demand for high-speed video streaming. Same thing with robots. Robot technology is not going to advance because of economic factors. Robot technology advances. All technology advances for one of two reasons. Warfare and sex. VCRs was the, the main reason behind VCRs. The, the, create, the, you know, the explosion of VCR technology was pornography. Being able to watch pornography at home. Robots will be the same thing. Robots in the battlefield. Robots in sex. That's where the initial investments are going to be. And then 20 years later, we'll have robot maids or robot police officers. We already have some of that now. But you know what I mean? Like you have, it's generally a military application or a sexual application that moves technology forward. So I applaud you, British family, for having a sex robot in your house. I think it's completely normal, just like I would applaud any quote-unquote untraditional family structure in the house, because it doesn't impact me. As long as the kids aren't being physically or emotionally hurt, if, if, a, if these families can raise their kids better than a, a heterosexual mother and father family where they are like beating their kids, why is this anyone's business? So people don't like these sex robots, so that's really the main thing. And they're going to find any reason to trash talk this technology. 
And now it's think of the children, think of the children. Eh, it's not going to work. It's just an, it's an untraditional relationship. And untraditional relationships shouldn't be shut down just because you're scared of them. Don't be a robophobic, basically. Uh, that's going to be tonight's episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I hope you guys had a good time. I, I thought those were pretty interesting stories. It's sweltering hot in here. I think I've lost five pounds just in water weight. And I hope you are comfortable and cool wherever you are at. You can hit me up. Our website is deadrabbit.com. We also have our email address at deadrabbitradio at gmail.com. You can email me there with any stories. You got some facts that I got wrong. My whole email address would be full of facts that I got wrong. But feel free to send me any story ideas, things like that. You can also hit me up at Twitter at Jason O. Carpenter. That is my Twitter. We're going to be getting Instagram set up soon. We got the YouTube channel under Dead Rabbit Radio. That's going really well. I'm getting that's mostly people clicking on the smaller videos. Uh, what I do is I'll generally take one of these recordings, chop it in half, or take out a particular story that I know people will be interested in and throw that up on YouTube. That's working out really well for us. But what's working out best for me, and I hope it's working out best for you, is this podcast. I'm having a ton of fun doing this. I'm always looking forward to doing it. On the weekends, I'm always kind of bummed out because I'm not recording anything. I'm always like, oh, man, you know, I wish I was doing that. So, but I, I got to pace myself. I got to pace myself because I don't want to burn out. This was episode 27. That's awesome. I'm having a great time. And if you've just discovered the podcast or you've been listening to us since the first episode, thank you so much for spending your time and your day with me. Have a great weekend. We will be back Monday with some brand new stories. My name is Jason Carpenter. And thanks for hopping in. Have a great day, guys. Peace.